History tells the story of the world and of our lives. Sometimes that history goes bump in the night. Broadcasting from the center of oddity and the supernatural in Central Florida, it's the History Goes Bump podcast. Hello, you spooktacular people. Welcome to this 328th episode of the History Ghost Bump podcast, Ghost Tours for the Theater of the Mind. I am your host, Diane. And this is Kelly. Kelly, we have a special guest joining us that longtime listeners have heard before. We have Mom joining us. How are you, Mom? Very good. And thank you for having me. We had a listener named Melissa Potter who had asked if we would do the Victor Hotel in Victor, Colorado. And I couldn't think of anybody more knowledgeable about the history of Colorado than my own mother to join us to talk about this. Now, when I first started looking at the Victor Hotel, I realized that there was not a ton of information there that would fill up like a whole episode. So I was like, well, maybe there's some other haunted locations in Victor. So I put in Haunted Victor to see what would come up and got nothing. So I went in and started looking at individual locations to see if I could find any stories. And of course, since this is an historical mining town, There are a lot of hauntings there, so we have a lot of locations to share with you guys. Before we do that, we want to welcome into the Spooktacular crew, Lisa, Earl, Stacy, Kristen with a K, Valkyrie, Selena, Amanda, Karen, Mickey, Aurora, and Lindsay with just a Y. There's no E-Y at the end there. Thanks for joining us, everybody. And now, this moment, Naughty. The moment in oddity was suggested by Chelsea Flowers. The Greeks have a bit of lore about lilac bushes. The story goes that the god Pan fell in love with a nymph named Syringa. Syringa was terrified of Pan and probably with good reason based on what we've heard about Pan on Hellier. She ran away from him through the forest and turned herself into a lilac bush to hide. Lilac bushes smell really good. Most of us probably assume that people planted them around their old farmsteads because of their fragrance and decorative appeal. But the truth is that there were two reasons, and neither had anything to do with making a property more decorative. The first is to mark the burial of a miscarriage or placenta. The other was very practical. Once an outhouse had completed its service, meaning no one could stand to enter the thing anymore due to the stench, the outhouse was moved, the hole was filled, and a lilac bush was planted over the area. They did this every time they moved an outhouse. Outhouses were put out as far along the property line as possible for obvious reasons. So when you see lilac bushes dotting the property line of an old farmstead or dotting the land in any way, just know that those are marking the spot, typically a very stinky spot. And that certainly is odd. And here's another unique podcast I'd love you to check out. Hi, everybody. This is Lisa. And I'm Lindsay. And we are identical twins who love to travel, but we are also completely obsessed with ghosts. 
That's right. So each week, we're going to bring you a new location, including the scary history of the place, uh, along with some ghost stories that are experienced at each location that you have access to go to and our travel reviews. So if you want to go on your own haunted travels or just live vicariously through us on our podcast, please come join us each week. Yeah, new episodes of Your Haunted Holiday are updated every Sunday, and you are sure to get a few laughs from our misadventures and fleeing from hotels at night, as well as learn a bit of history, and definitely you're going to get a little bit of a scare. And now, this month in history. In the month of February, on the 13th, around 500 BC, the Romans began the festival of Parentalia. Parentalia was a religious festival that the Romans observed to honor their dead family members, specifically their dead parents. The festival would begin at noon on February 13th and end on February 21st. During those days, gifts of salt, wheat, flower garlands, and wine-soaked bread would be left at tombs. No official business could be conducted, no one could marry, and all temples were closed. This was described as a yearly renewal of the rite of burial. Over time, it became a festival to honor all dead family members or ancestors. On the evening of the 21st, a public ceremony would begin called Feralia, and gifts and offerings would be set on top of graves, and there would be a funeral feast. This would end the very personal time for quiet inner reflection. This one was quite different compared to other Roman holidays. Victor is an old mining town founded during the Victorian era in the Pikes Peak area of Colorado. This was a town founded by a couple of brothers and home for miners working the nearly 500 gold fields located in the nearby mountains. This was a typical mining town full of saloons, brothels, and streets paved with gold. Today, Victor is a historic mining district where one can still find a room in a historic hotel and do a little gambling in a nearby town. And just like so many mining towns, there are reputedly ghosts here as well. Diane's mom, Annette Student, will be joining us as we share the history and haunts of Victor, Colorado. So, Mom, when would be the last time that you've been to Victor, Colorado? Well, we moved to Florida four years ago, and I think we probably went to Victor maybe maybe three years before that because, you know, Victor went to gambling. Mm-hmm. Or not Victor, but Cripple Creek, which is Victor's sister city. And so we went to visit the city and see how the gambling was going there. And we always liked to go over to Victor because it was very, very different than Cripple Creek. It was more quiet and had the old charm you might say, of the mining town. You you really saw what the mining town was like mm-hmm. when you visited Victor. Cripple Creek looked like um, mini Las Vegas, dressed up in old Western gear. <laughs> that's, that's how I think I would describe it, too. Did you ever win real good when you were in Cripple Creek? Well, the only thing I ever did in Cripple Creek was play the slot machines. And I think one time, your dad and I were very careful. We usually played the nickel slots. And um, 
And then when we won, we kept the money. We didn't put it back in the machine. Mm -hmm. So, and we would take $20. So I was not a big time gambler, but I loved the nickel slots. And when they changed the slot machines and made them goofy, it just lost my appeal. But one time I think I won $40. That's pretty good. So that wasn't too bad. No. Kelly, do you have any luck when it comes to gambling? I know you went to Vegas every so often. Here and there, from time to time, playing 21, but that's about it. Oh, so you played the tables. I did, not necessarily by choice, but I did. (laughs) Ah, gotcha. See, we played video poker on the slot machines. Oh, that's fun. Yeah, I do remember doing Mm -hmm. that. I did have a lot of fun when we'd go up to the mountains to do that. I'm trying to think of when the last time I would have been to Victor probably would have been with you when I was a kid. Well, and that would have probably been before, well, that would have been before gambling. And I know Uh that you and Christy went with us and we even had some family that visited and we would go up to Cripple Creek because it was an easier mining town to get to and it wasn't that far away. And they also had a mine there, the Molly Kathleen that you could go down into. Oh, so yeah. So you could I actually go that. take a tour of the gold mine. And you went way down underground. And so mm-hmm. that was always fun. It was a new experience. And they had a really neat cemetery there. Gotta love the cemeteries. Well, and you know me in cemeteries. That's why I'm the way I am. Blame mom. Yeah. And all you parents out there, remember that when you take your children on trips or excursions or vacations... And you're doing things that you really enjoy doing, like I enjoyed history and cemeteries and nature and wildlife. You might even be influencing your kids to enjoy the same things you do. Even when we act like we're bored to death, you get hooked. Well, Mom, you were just talking about how Victor and Cripple Creek were really very different Nowadays, they were kind of the same way back in its heyday. And I would say Victor, Colorado could be described as the redheaded stepchild to uh, Cripple Creek, her sister city. Yes, gold ore had been discovered in the Pikes Peak area in 1890, and people came pouring in all to make their fortunes. Cripple Creek was founded in 1891, and Victor was founded on the other side of Battle Mountain in 1893. Cripple Creek was a large city and considered more sophisticated with financial and political influence, while Victor was where the miners lived and was more rough and tumble. The town of Victor was founded by two brothers named Frank and Harry Woods, and they named it after Victor Adams, an early homesteader there. Businesses lined the boardwalks and dirt streets with false-fronted pine facades, you know, kind of like you see in those Western movies and stuff. Well, that's it, kind of so what funny, Victor looked like. Because when you would watch those movies, you would say, oh, those are all those false fronts. And you would never mm-hmm. think that that actually was the reality of the real towns, too. That's exactly what they were like. What's that town in Alaska where they have the the wooden boardwalk? I think it's Skagway. I believe so. But that, that description kind of reminded me of that. Except, you know, of course, the road's paved now, but. The Florence and Cripple Creek uh, Railroad arrived in 1894 and the Midland Terminal Railroad a year later. By the way, you could also take the train between Cripple Creek and Victor. Oh. And we did that one time because the mountain was in in between Mm -hmm. the two cities and the railroad went around. And that's kind of sometimes how the miners would get back and forth and the townspeople too get back and forth between the two towns. By 1896, Victor had 8,000 residents and was fast becoming one of Colorado's leading cities due to its close proximity to Cripple Creek and the gold fields. And while Cripple Creek was getting most of the attention, Victor was producing far more gold and was nicknamed the City of Mines, which is how it is still touted today. 
And one of those mines was known as the Independence, and it was one of the richest mines, and it made a millionaire, a multimillionaire, out of a man named Stratton. Oh, wow. And then came fire, which was always so devastating to these towns built from all wood. You know, I think almost every mining town in Colorado, except for one, had fire nearly destroy the whole town. And even Denver had a fire that nearly destroyed the town. And a lot of times after these fires, and as you'll hear in a little bit, when they rebuilt, they didn't always rebuild with wood. (laughs) They got smart. And they had early fire departments, those you know, ladder trucks where the guys came out with the buckets and the ladders. Mm-hmm. was That's how the fire departments got started. And yes, it did devastate Victor. In August 1899, about 200 buildings located in Victor's 12-block business district, along with buildings and homes and two additional city blocks, were totally destroyed by fire. The fire left 3,000 residents homeless and resulted in about $2 million in estimated losses. One of the city's finest hotels, the Hotel Victor, located on the corner of Victor Avenue and 4th Street, was completely destroyed. The Woods family had built this hotel, and it was one of the most photographed structures in the town. The hotel had an unusual pyramidal rooftop tower and big wraparound balconies that people used to gather on to watch parades. Tents were erected, and by the next day, restaurants and saloons were opened in those tents. It's kind of like going back to the days when they first got founded. They usually put up tents. And I, that's, I imagine that's what it would be. And but they just bounced right back. They're like, okay, well, we'll just put up some tents and here we go. Within five days after the fire, brick houses and buildings were under construction. Eight months later, the town was rebuilt and grew even more, reaching 18,000 residents, which for a brief time at the turn of the century made it Colorado's fifth largest city. I think that detail is amazing. I would have never thought this little mining town would be considered the fifth largest city in Colorado. Well, can you imagine that Leadville was one of them too, way up there, the highest city in Colorado practically? Yeah, it's just because so few people go there. Well, I mean, a lot go now because of the gambling and stuff, but really very few people would go for a long time there. So you wouldn't think of it as being such a, a big city at one time. But remember what was going on there. There was gold. That's true. So I guess that would be why you'd have a ton of people there. That's exactly why you had a ton of people there. This new Victor had beautifully platted streets, modern utilities for the time, two electric trolley lines, an opera house, schools, and wonderful homes. The Woods Brothers built the Gold Coin Club for their employees to use for recreation. There was also St. Victor Roman Catholic Church, the First Baptist Church, City Hall, Miners Union Hall, and the First National Bank of Victor. The Denver Republican reported in April of 1900, Victor has risen to her glory from the piled char heap of late August like a blossoming rose bush, where before stood cabins, huts, and tents, fine brick buildings have shot up like mushrooms during the night. I love that description. (laughs) Keeping in mind that mushrooms are a fungus. (laughs) (laughs) So perhaps these saloons and brothels that sprung up again. Tell us more about these Woods brothers, Mom, and what they built in Victor. Warren Woods was the father of Frank and Harry Woods and also president of the Woods Investment Company. Frank was treasurer and Harry was manager. This company owned the majority of the town. Well, because they got there first. Sure. Anybody who gets there first gets marks their spot. That's right. Exactly. (laughs) The family had initially made their money in real estate. See, they got there first. But while building the Hotel Victor in 1894, they discovered a 20-inch wide vein of gold. 
they traced it to the gold coin claim and began mining immediately. This makes me think of uh, the Beverly Hillbillies just working on the land and hitting oil. (laughs) That's what they were doing. They were just building a hotel and bam, they hit gold. At its peak, the gold coin produced about $30,000 per month. Now you know why it had so many people living there. It's a lot of money coming in. Of course, the miners didn't make that kind of money. No. But the mine owners did. The Great Fire in 1899 hit their interests hard, but they committed to rebuilding and doing it safely. The new Gold Coin Club was better than the first one and featured a ballroom, gymnasium, bowling alleys, pool, and game room, a 700-volume library and dining rooms, and was modeled after the New York Athletic Club. New fire prevention measures were put in place to rebuild the Gold Coin Mine, and they spent a fortune $250,000 at the time to build a shaft house, hoist house, and compressor plant. These were all made with ornate pressed brick and steel, and the windows were upgraded to stained glass. Can you imagine having these buildings that are over the mine and you put stained glass in them? Absolutely not. Heaven forbid there's some kind of explosion. (laughs) Good grief. By the way, the mines were all underneath the town. So the town was sitting on a gold mine. If you actually saw a plat of the mines that were in Battle Mountain, it would look like the biggest jigsaw puzzle you ever saw. And you would go, well, whose mine was whose? And how did you know what shaft you were going down? You know, so you could imagine if something blew up in there, what would happen? And this brings us to the building of the new Victor Hotel. The Woods Investment Company also started construction of the bank block. By the way, when they call something a block like the bank block, that's because the building took up a whole block of land. I was wondering that because when we're going to be talking about these different locations, that's what the books kept calling them were all these different blocks. And I'm like, oh, it's interesting to have a building called a block. Or it was it could also be a large building that had a lot of offices and different things in it. And, and it was known as a block. They had a lot of them in Denver, too. And they were usually named after the people that built them, but not always. Mm-hmm. The bank block was on the northeast corner of Victor and 4th Street at the base of Battle Mountain after the fire. The bank block was rectangular and built from tan pressed brick without embellishments. This was the tallest building in Victor at four floors. The corner entrance led into the First National Bank of Victor, of which Frank Woods was president. The bank occupied the building's first floor, and hotel rooms and businesses filled the other three floors. Some of those businesses included the local telephone exchange, doctors, lawyers, engineers, and investors. In Wood Investment Company promotional literature in 1901, they printed the following about the bank. The First National Bank of Victor is probably the only banking concern in the world where one of its depositors mines gold directly beneath the bank at 500 feet from the surface. Things for Victor and the Woods family would really start to decline in the early 1900s with labor strikes and less gold being mined. Men started making runs on the bank and eventually it was declared insolvent and the doors were closed on November 3, 1903. The brothers sold the building. Victor's population drastically diminished when World War I started and miners left en masse to join the military. They had a slight resurgence during the Depression when some mines reopened. The city went into decline again during World War II when the mines closed down again. Some mines started operating after the war ended, but all mining was finished by 1962. The Ajax mine would be the last to close. During its time, the Ajax produced over 20 million in gold. 
Before all the mines in the area had closed, they produced over $125 million in that gold. But getting back to the Victor Hotel, what happened after the brothers sold it? The Citizens Bank of Victor replaced the First National Bank, and businesses like the Western Union Telegraph Company and the Colorado Telephone Company continued to rent space. Citizens Bank was replaced with Citibank, and by 1906, a hospital was operating on the fourth floor. This also served as a morgue during one hard winter when the ground was too hard to bury the deceased. And this could happen in the mountains because, remember, it was hard ground and it was often rocky and, and the like, so you couldn't always dig down into it. Can you imagine working downstairs in the bank and going, mm, about two or three floors up, we've got a bunch of dead bodies? In 1908, a jewelry store and grocery store were located in the building. During the Depression, the Citibank closed and the first floor was occupied by Bill Layer's photography studio and the Brass Rail Cafe and Bar during the 1930s. Then there was the Henry Munstead's Gift Shop, a restaurant, and Rindell's Soda Fountain. During the 1960s, business in the building closed and the building stood vacant and neglected for the next two decades. In 1991, the building was purchased. Renovations were done to keep the building's historic integrity, but also add modern conveniences. Hotel Victor reopened in August 1992. By the way, you can see, as you were talking about the mines opening and closing and running and and then not running anymore, that's the way it was with almost all the mining towns in Colorado. There was a, the big boom, and then they shut down during World War One. Sometimes they the gold played out, or as in the case of Leadville, they were silver mines, and when silver was devalued in our money, the silver mines closed. So this happened in a lot of mining towns. Victor and Cripple Creek were not alone in this, and it happened in Cripple Creek just like it did in Victor. And some of them have a resurgence, like now. There is some mining going on in the Cripple Creek Victor area, just a little bit. And there is a little bit more mining in Leadville and some other towns that had mining. Not all of them, but some have a little bit of a resurgence. If gold goes up, there's always that chance that they might make some money out of opening a gold mine because it's very expensive to operate. So perhaps these renovations awaken something because ghost stories have been told about the Victor Hotel. There are many tourists coming into Victor because in November 1990, Colorado voters passed legislation to legalize low-stakes gambling in a few old mining towns to help rejuvenate their economy. The exteriors of the old buildings in these towns had to retain their historic integrity, but the interiors could be renovated to house slot machines and a few low-stakes card tables. In 1991, Cripple Creek was one of the old mining towns that brought in gambling. Over time, Cripple Creek, Blackhawk, and other old mining towns have had their historic properties demolished or moved and new properties built that really take away from the original character of the towns. Since gambling was not brought to Victor, it still retains much of its true historic value. are some interesting tidbits before we get into the ghosts. Early day Victor residents included former radio personality Lowell Thomas and Colorado Governor Ralph Carr, who worked for Victor's newspaper, movie and television actor Groucho Marx, and prize fighter Jack Dempsey, who trained in the gymnasium above Victor's town hall. Vice President Theodore Roosevelt laid the YMCA building's cornerstone He also gave a speech on the balcony of the Gold Coin Club when he was president. And there's a museum. 
the Lowell Thomas Museum in town that you can visit. And the house that he lived in is a tourist site that you can visit too. I don't know about his childhood home, but the museum is haunted. We're going to talk about it in just a bit. Also, I found it so fascinating to find out that Groucho Marx had lived in Victor, Colorado, of all places. No kidding. That, I was really surprised by that as well. Yeah, it was just crazy. You never know where you're going to find people, do Not, you? No. The hauntings at the Victor Hotel go all the way back to the early 1900s. The most famous ghost here is named Eddie. He lived in the Victor Hotel in room 301 in the early 1900s. And that's kind of how these used to work, these hotels, Mom, right? They were more like boarding houses for the miners. A lot of them were, yes. He worked in the mines and had to get up early and be out at the mine in the early morning hours. So one morning, he stumbles to the birdcage elevator, which is the same elevator they have to this day. It's very cool looking. I will see if I can get some pictures to post. And he called for the elevator. The doors opened, but there was no elevator car. The darkness prevented Eddie from seeing that there was nothing in the elevator shaft, and he stepped forward and fell the three stories to his death. His body was laid out in his room for viewing. And while that body left the hotel, Eddie's spirit apparently did not. The birdcage elevator is still at the hotel and running. It sometimes runs on its own accord, and people blame Eddie for that. The elevator regularly travels to the third floor and opens when no one is called to that floor. When the lift is making that run, it never stops on the second or fourth floors. Eddie wore heavy steel-toed boots and his disembodied steps are heard on the third floor hallway. Guests claim to hear a male voice whisper, be careful, when they're boarding the elevator and once a man claimed to have been pushed back while entering the elevator by something he couldn't see. He would have been hurt if this had not happened because the sensors on the doors malfunctioned and the doors were going to shut on him. Spooky. The Haunted Colorado website reports about the hotel. As one guest from room 307 checked out, They told me that someone had been banging on the pipes outside their door all night long. That must have been keeping them away. Can you imagine? It's like having the elevator go up and down by your room. Every time they looked out the door to see who was banging on the pipes, there was no one there. Room 307 is in the corner, and there aren't even pipes on those walls, but they definitely heard clanking sounds. Another guest told me that she had laid down a plastic cup with an aspirin in it, and later went back to take the aspirin. The cup had disappeared. The ghost had a headache, I guess. <laughs> or maybe she shouldn't wasn't supposed to take that aspirin. Maybe. She searched all over, even in the trash, but to no avail. The cup was even gone. We always put four cups per bed in each room. This room had four when she checked in, but that fourth cup was never found. This hotel was a former hospital so there are many apparitions of what people believe are former patients. And then there was that morgue. Could some of the spirits belong to people whose bodies were kept on the fourth floor as a spring thaw was awaited? A young female spirit was seen in the lobby several times during the Christmas season of 2003, walking around looking at decorations. These observations were made by employees because no one was checked into the hotel at the time. Now, I don't know if she was transparent or disappeared, So how could they tell she was a spirit is anybody's guess. There is also a male spirit that appears to be in his 60s that everybody calls Charlie. He is seen wearing a black hat, torn jeans, and a plaid shirt. He is jovial and friendly to those with whom he interacts. So that was the Victor Hotel. It's got some crazy stuff going on there. Sounds like there are several possibilities for ghosts there. And you know this Charlie, he's dressed just like a miner would have been dressed. Yeah, so I don't know how they know how these ghosts, what their names are, what have you. So is Charlie and Eddie the same person? Are they two separate? 
who knows? Somebody had a, a sensitivity and just got the name Charlie. You never know. That could be. Next up, we have the museum you were just talking about, Mom, the Lowell Thomas Museum. Before the fire, the post office was located at this site. After the 1899 fire, the Reynolds Block, which is, again, the block that you were talking about, so this is a huge building, was built on the corner of 3rd Street and Victor Avenue out of brick and has two stories. The first business here was Tompkins Hardware Supply Company, and this store advertised itself as the headquarters for hardware and mining supplies. This was a chain store like an Ace Hardware. So they had them in all different cities. Also found inside this building on the first floor was the Victor Mining Stock Exchange. And I think it was in that building that I bought an antique that I still have to this day and it's in my laundry room. It was a clothes plunger and it it looks like a metal toilet plunger. Oh, I, you know, I see that city. It's in the corner, right? Yes, it's in the corner. Yeah, I see that. And I never knew what I that was. I got that in Victor. And the handle, the original handle isn't on it. What some miner or some miner's wife replaced it with an, an old shovel handle. The handle on the top. That's yeah, got so the it's gripping. a handle where you have a grip on it. Yeah. So you, and that would have huh. made it easier to plunge it with your clothes because wow. they would have put him clothes into a big wash tub and they would have used that plunger as the agitator. It was actually a metal agitator when they were washing their clothes. This makes me feel like when we were at the Lillian Place house and that guy was telling us about all the different antiques there and we're like, what he would ask us, what's the what do you think this was? And we're like, I don't know. <laughs> I knew a lot of them. You did. You were like winning that day. I didn't have a clue about anything. Yeah, I've got a few that I've asked people what they are and they don't know either. The Victor Exchange went out of business in 1903 and two years later, Tompkins Hardware was out of business too. The Victor Dry Goods Company took over the building and was eventually bought out and renamed Meddell and Company. Nobody seemed to have luck here, though, and eventually the store was gone too, and a pharmacy had replaced it in the mid-1910s. During all of this, we're not sure what was located on the second floor, but more than likely was the residence of either the business owners or perhaps renters. In the late 1920s, S.A. Hackley moved in his furniture store, and he converted the upper floor to a hotel and named it Hotel Hackley after himself. It was probably a little bit of a boarding house, too. Yeah. Eventually, the furniture store was gone, too, but the hotel remained, and the Arapahoe Food Stores Company moved into the first level. In the 1950s, the building was donated to the Victor Improvement Association and was turned into a museum, and that is what it is today. The museum is named for Lowell Thomas. Lowell Thomas was born in 1892 in Ohio and was known as an author, journalist, explorer, lecturer, and his association with Lawrence of Arabia is well known. He worked as a war correspondent in the Middle East and wrote of the exploits of Lawrence in the Arabian Desert. Thomas explored the far northern reaches of the desert. In 1930, he would join CBS Radio as a commentator and make incredible firsts in television. In 1939, he was on the first television news broadcast, and in 1940, the first daily television program. His first love was radio, though, and that is where he spent most of his time, and where most of his fame derives from. He passed away in 1981 at the age of 89 in New York. His connection to Victor is that he grew up there. The Thomas family moved to Victor in 1900, when Lowell was 8 years old. His father was one of only 17 doctors in Victor. After graduating from high school, he was off on adventures. You know, I bet you a lot of these little mining towns and even little farm towns wish they could say he was only one of 17 doctors. They're lucky if they get one doctor. That's true. I mean, that would be quite a few doctors to have in one place. 
But then if you think there was 18,000 people there, well, had to wait a little bit to get in to see that doctor. The Victor Lowell Thomas Museum is open nearly year-round and features a room dedicated to Lowell Thomas's career featuring pictures and memorabilia. There are several mining displays, rooms decorated with furniture from the Victorian era, historic photos of Victor and area towns, an antique doll collection, which we know those are just never a good idea, and a room on the second floor that features furniture from Lowell's father's medical office. The museum also features some unexplained activity. One of the spirits here could very well be Lowell Thomas. He seems to be connected to some of his personal items. A pair of his glasses move from one display room to another. Or the culprit could be the spirit of a little boy named Jake. His apparition has been seen wandering the various rooms, and he has startled staff and guests several times with his disembodied voice. Or it could be the little girl ghost that's been heard on the second floor. The basement is especially active, and a paranormal investigation team claimed to have caught a uniformed man standing in the shadows in a picture. The museum embraces this paranormal activity and invites investigators to come in during special events. Imagine those are for Halloween. Yeah, most of those little towns do have things on Halloween. The museum offers tours to the Sunnyside Cemetery, May through September, weather permitting. The cemetery features a wrought iron archway with the symbols of a miner, pickaxe and shovel as embellishments. There are over 1,200 people buried here. Many of Victor's pioneers are buried here, with the first one dating to 1891 for three-year-old Maggie Ferrens. Some of the men buried here were killed in a mining accident in 1904. They were working in the Stratton Independence Mine when a cable snapped on their lift cage and they dropped 1,400 feet all the way down the mine shaft, as your dad would say. It was that sudden stop at the end. That's right. Fifteen died and one man was severely injured. Now, a really interesting thing about the burial plots is that the interred only have rights to the surface ground, and that's for a specific reason. (laughs) I can only imagine. Yeah. Just as you were saying, Mom, that the entire city is over a bunch of mines. (laughs) Yeah. Can you imagine how many might have been dug up over the time, too? (laughs) There are several inactive gold mines under the final resting place. The Hattie W. Lode the Cemetery Load, apropos name, the Robert E. Lee Load, and the Annie B. Load. Most of the burials are only marked by whatever wild grasses and bushes are growing within the cemetery's boundaries. No burial records exist, and that's not unusual for these little cemeteries in these towns like that, and it is also not uncommon for the graves not to be marked because they would have probably had wood markers on them, and over time they deteriorate or are stolen or just disappear. You never know what happens to them. And so this is one of those old-fashioned tumbleweed boot hills, you might say. There is a tragic story connected to the cemetery. In 1998, a man named Mark Butts was beaten to death in the cemetery by a group of four men. They used a shovel to commit the heinous act and beat him so badly that the shovel handle broke. They then took his body and hid it a distance from the cemetery. It took two weeks for it to be discovered. He was only 35 years old. Paranormal investigator Chuck Zukowski did an investigation inside the cemetery in October 2019 with his daughter Ashley. He said that he had heard reports from Victor residents that they had seen and heard weird things in the cemetery. They did hear something strange in the distance, and it sounded like someone banging something against the wrought iron. There was no wind to blow anything against the metal. They got out a spirit box, and the name Michael came across, and they asked, Is this Michael? And a female or high-pitched voice said, Yes. Then they heard the same female voice come across again. 
they caught an indiscernible EVP too. So perhaps we have a haunted cemetery here as well. Next, we have the Fortune Club Diner and Hotel. In 1896, John Clem opened the Combination Saloon on the southeast corner of 3rd Street and Victor Avenue. After the fire, a business owner in Cripple Creek named Sam Lang bought the land and built the Fortune Club. He eventually hired his brother to take over management of the club. Under this management, the club became known as a distributor of the purest and best wines and liquors. The decline of business started in the 1910s, and when Prohibition began, the Fortune Club closed its doors. The Facebook page claims that this was a brothel, and since there is a hotel here, I imagine that was the case. A lot of these saloons and hotels supplied the purest wines and the best liquors and oysters on the shell. Can you believe this? Here we are in Colorado, and oysters was a really big luxury item that they all seem to really like. So just because you're in this little mining town way off in the mountains doesn't mean that you wouldn't get some luxury things. And they paid for it because remember, we have a lot of money here and the mine owners and others, the businessmen, they made money. In fact, the people that really made the money in these mining towns were the mine owners. They were the ones that made the money. It really wasn't necessarily the miners. Some of them made money if if they saved it, but they were the workers. It's run as a restaurant known as the Fortune Club Diner and Hotel, and it's so neat inside. There's a tin-type ceiling, and the wallpaper has that vintage look. There are a few countertop seats that harken back to the stools from soda shops, and there's a long mirror behind the bar. The sign outside does have soda fountain under the name, so I'm thinking perhaps you can get some of that stuff here, too. It just looks like you're walking back in time, and I hear the food is really good, too. Then there's also a hotel offering 10 fully furnished rooms, but the baths are not private, so it's still got a lot of its historical flair there. And then in pictures that I saw, there's also a sign above another section of the building that says Fortune Club Lounge, so there appears to be a bar here, too. What's really nice is when they renovated the building or, you know, put in their business, they kept the tin ceiling, and they kept other things in the building the way they were. That doesn't always happen. A lot of times in renovations, people will take those things out and they are gone. But tin ceilings were a common thing in those early days. It actually became a big decorative item too in the somewhere in the early 2000s. I mean, any of the DIY shows, every Mm -hmm. single kitchen that they were doing had the tin ceilings and they were they were small square panels Mm -hmm. that were all attached. But yeah, that's the way they were in those days. Very popular for a good chunk of time. You know, you can go to buildings even in Denver, really, really old buildings, hotels, you know, where they have maybe the restaurant or something, and they still may have the tin ceiling. So it's really nice when something Mm -hmm. like that is kept for us to appreciate today, because otherwise they would be gone and you'd never know that something like that existed at one time. I love those ceilings. I think we should remodel our kitchen. I'm down. Get some pendant lights, too. They say everything will becomes new again. So here we go. You know, I like retro, so. (laughs) We'll get some old uh, soda fountain stools and everything, pull it on up to the the island. The owner definitely thinks her place is haunted. She says, we live with it every day and aren't frightened by it. We get a lot of paranormal investigators here, and they say there's a lot of residual energy here from the gold rush days. She herself has heard the sounds of disembodied footsteps when she's in the empty building alone at night. Objects fall off the shelves, and she has opened empty rooms that were locked to find them ransacked. 
Our final haunted location in Victor is the Black Monarch Hotel. This building was originally known as the Monarch, and it was a gentleman's club owned by Samuel Burris and William Sexton. The 1899 fire burned it down, but Sexton rebuilt it again with brick. The first level was a saloon and gambling hall, while upstairs housed the bordello. This place catered to a high-class clientele. The first floor had elegant white and black tile, and rooms were decorated with carved oak wood and lavish accoutrements. And rumor has it that Nikola Tesla himself wired the building because he was staying in nearby Cripple Creek to work on an electrical dam. The club was managed by F.L. Hart starting in 1902, and by 1907, he was Sexton's partner. The club flourished until 1912 as the economy brought revenue down. The men sold to W.H. Martin, and he reopened as the Monarch Mercantile Company. He was out of business by 1916. And just like we were talking about some of the celebrities that were here in Victor, who would have ever thought that Nikola Tesla would be in Victor wiring places? That's amazing. Well, he was in Denver. That's true. So, yeah, so I guess it that's makes not sense. unusual that he would have he would have been there because he was in Denver. That's how I heard about him in the first place was when I was doing history in Denver. Then there was his name and I investigated who he was and found out that he was actually probably not probably should have been should've. way above. Yes. Thomas, Thomas Edison. Edison. <laughs> <laughs> oh. If you're asking me, yes. I will let you know. Well, I think he probably was really the first. But, you know, yep. sometimes history gets written in a certain way. Yes. And no matter how hard you try to change it. It's like it's written in stone and you cannot change it no matter how many times you try. And that's unfortunate. By the way, this becoming a, a saloon and gambling hall and a bordello is not unusual either because those are the three big things that miners and a man in town wanted. You know, well, if you think food was a sideline, they had to eat, <laughs> but but the entertainment was, and they had to do something at night. So, what better to do than drink and gamble and have whoopee? Well, <laughs> <laughs> well, and if you think about it, these mining towns were kind of the early company towns. Yes, they were. And so basically what they were doing is paying the miners to do the mining work and getting their money right back again. Because they're like, here, go to the saloons and buy liquor, buy the girls, and it yes. all comes right back to them. So exactly. it's just kind of a circle. And remember how I said it was the business owners that were making the money. And this is one of the ways they made it. Yeah. Denver contractor Adam Zimmerly bought the old Monarch and reimagined it and reopened it as the Black Monarch Hotel in May of 2019. So it's very recently. And boy, is it up our listeners' alleys. Upon entering, one can't help but notice all the oddities and curiosities decorating the hotel. There's a lot of taxidermy, weird art, and odd trinkets throughout the overall Victorian Gothic theming. There are tall ceilings and tin-plated walls. The walls are painted in dark hues like black, and the library is filled with books covering weird and macabre things like heinous crimes, diseases, and the occult. There are four rooms ready right now with five more to come, all themed after serial killers and other interesting characters. There is the H.H. Holmes room, which features human anatomy posters. Just a little sick, don't you think? Slightly. Axes, torture devices, and antique medical equipment. And you're going to sleep in this room? <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> the Black Annis room is dedicated to witchcraft and has a platform bed suspended from the ceiling by ropes, pentagrams, and goat skulls. The Nikola Tesla room has large oversized drawings of the Tesla coil and a series of elk skulls above the bed. 
And finally, the Elizabeth Bathory room has crimson walls, a portrait of Bathory, a four-poster bed with sheer black curtains, and a bat encased in red velvet. And I just want to point out that those other five rooms that are coming, it's not going to have any modern-day kind of serial killers. You're not going to get the Ted Buddy room or the Jeffrey Dahmer room. These are going to be classic type. So I bet we're going to get a Jack the Ripper room or something. Interesting. I wonder if we're going to have a Lizzie Borden room. Could be. They have very creative decorating in their hotel, don't they? I would say so. And the interesting thing is he doesn't have a ton of money. He got this for a steal. He saw it for sale when he was eating in the restaurant across the street, which I think might be the Fortune Club. And he called about it and they were like, well, it needs a lot of work. But, you know, if you are willing. So he put the money down for it. And he's been just doing it. the reason why it's only got four rooms open so far is because he's having to do it all himself. But he just goes out to these garage sales, estate sales, that kind of thing. And he just finds the stuff and throws it in to decorate the rooms. I wonder where he goes to these sales. In the mountains, you probably could find a few, you know, cow skulls and things like that hanging around. There's oddities for sale anywhere. You just have to search them out. Hauntings here in the hotel date back pretty far. A miner died in a gunfight, and employees of the bar claimed to see his ghost after that, and to see strange lights in the saloon. People who have visited the hotel claim that they have seen a ghostly woman looking out from one of the hotel windows. Many times this happened when the building was empty. There are strange sounds and objects that move on their own. The caretaker Jennings Davis said, I've seen people get so scared here that they leave only a few hours after checking in. An article by Jenna Milliner-Waddell on the Refinery29 website tells the experience of Adam Zimarelli. I was sleeping here by myself one time late at night, and there was a lot of activity, movement, and sounds. There was one night in particular that I woke up in the middle of the night, and it sounded like someone was walking around the building so clearly. He had thought someone had broken in, but he found no one in the building, and all the doors were locked. Many guests have complained of being awakened at 3 a.m. by the sounds of women laughing and men fighting. His girlfriend was one of them. She said it sounded like 50 people were downstairs having a party. Some other guests in the hotel heard the same thing, remarking that people really knew how to party in Victor. They swore there were 100 people downstairs. Of course, there had been no party. This had been in the middle of winter in Victor. Nobody was in town. And of course, Ghost Adventures is already planning an overnight trip. You know, I'm not surprised that people leave in the middle of the night without sleeping there after hearing some of the descriptions of the rooms. I'm, I would probably be one of them. I'm not too sure I'd want to stay. But, you know, I don't know if it's if these ghosts all actually are people that were in the building at one time or if they're things that are coming off of the things that they decorated it with. That's a good point, Mom, because we do know that things do get attached to stuff. I would say if they're hearing a party downstairs with 100 people, we've got something residual here, which would be, to me, nothing to be afraid of. It's just something that's locked into that time that's no. replaying. Well, and remember what this was. It was a saloon mm-hmm. and it, you know, a gambling hall and it was a bordello. And there probably could have been anywhere from 50 to 100 people that would have crowded in there. And yeah, it would have sounded like a party because they would have been doing that partying. And while some people might think this Adam Zimmerly is kind of weird for building this hotel that's dedicated to serial killers or weird things or whatever, just keep in mind what he is doing here is saving this building that was dilapidated and was probably going to get torn down. And he is reinvesting into Victor, even though he's from Denver and has to make the drive to do all of this. He's reinvesting in it and buying up storefronts and everything so that he can just rejuvenate the town. 
Well, and the thing is, is it's wonderful that there are people like him because you're absolutely right. Victor has a lot of old empty buildings that are falling down because nobody who would buy. I mean, it's like this guy buys this building. Who else would buy this building and put anything in it? It may never have gotten torn down. It may have fallen down before it got torn down or started to fall down. So it's wonderful that he was willing to not only initially make an investment in it, but to continue to put an investment into it. And based on all of the offerings that really are in Netflix and other streaming nowadays, I would say the reason why he is theming it this way is because that really seems to be what's appealing to people these days. So they're going to make the trip to Victor just to stay at that hotel. And with the reputation of being haunted on top of it, he's going to have people book in those rooms. He's never not going to have people in those rooms. Victor is a really fun historic mining town, and the fact that it has so many original buildings dating back to the turn of the century that are also reputedly haunted makes it even better. Are these places in Victor, Colorado haunted? That is for you to decide. Now I feel like we need to go to Colorado and visit some of these mining towns again, Kelly. And I'm telling you, when I was doing the research on this, and I know Ghost Adventures went there too. Cripple Creek has got all kinds of haunted locations. So I know we'll be doing a future episode on that city too. And they've got a neat I, cemetery. I absolutely agree. Can't wait. We want to encourage you guys to check out our website at historyghostbump.com. And if you'd like to send us some feedback, you can do that at historyghostbump at gmail.com. Do have a couple of things to share with you guys. Chris had sent us this message. As you guys know, my aunt passed away Sunday evening. Robin went to be with dad's wife at their house. She can't handle hospitals. I went to the hospital with dad and family. And just to give you guys an idea of who Chris and Robin are, the new logo for History Ghost Bump is because of them. She passes away at 6.55. I stay in the room for about 10 minutes, then send Robin a text to let her know. We get back to dad's house. Robin tells me that at 6.57, this is two minutes later, the main door at the house opens Robin always makes sure the door is closed and locked so Molly can't get out. Was my aunt letting them know she was gone? We like to think so. Absolutely. I think that's such a special experience. I love these experiences the most. And that's what we told Chris. We're like, I have no doubt that was your aunt coming by and saying, hey, guys, I'm out. Definitely. And then we heard from Valkyrie. I'm still trying to catch up to present day episodes via binge listening to the HGB podcast. I'm only on 104. Has anyone checked into the northern Minnesota Iron Range? The entire area has a history of mining. And let me just say synchronicity, because I got this at the same time we're working on Victor. I can't say it's haunted, but had a weird event. My sons, a friend and myself went to Ellie, Minnesota for a blues fest. Ellie, Minnesota only hosted the festival one time. After driving hours to get to the campsite, setting everything up and getting settled, we went into town for dinner at one of the bars. The weird event was shortly after ordering our food. Many others arrived to start an evening of fun, but several people walking in at almost an overlay of a different person walking in with them. Several had see-through hats like that of a miner or worker. It was weird, and I thought it was my imagination, but asked my friend if he noticed anything weird, and he said people had funny hats. My impression was that of a group of workers stopping after work for a drink. It couldn't be that I was drinking because I'd just barely gotten my beer. It's possible that what I and my friend saw was due to being tired, we both worked without sleep before making the drive and did a stop at a mine for a tour. But, you know, those shared experiences always make me go, hmm. Absolutely. First of all, we want to thank you, Mom, for joining us for this episode. Well, I'm glad you had me. It's been a long time, and I enjoy talking to your visitors, too, about history, any kind of history. I love history. Absolutely, Always you do. have loved history. 
and I love cemeteries. Do you remember, of course, on our vacations, I would always have them planned, crammed a lot, yeah, we had a, a lot of stuff. It would be, we're doing this, 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 you have five minutes to pee, then we're doing this, 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 this. <laughs> and then you and your sister would see what more we could cram into the day. <laughs> it was like a challenge. Mm-hmm. Well, it seemed like every time we would visit a cemetery, it would rain. And you know how I am about rain. Yeah, my mom's like a cat. She doesn't like it. I do not like rain. And then I'd want to get out and take pictures. And it would be raining. It was awful. (laughs) I don't know. Maybe the ghosts were crying. That could be. The angels were weeping over the cemetery, Mom. Maybe if you thought of it that way, it wouldn't be so bad. Well, that's true. Of course, it doesn't rain every time I'm in the cemetery because I've led a lot of cemetery tours when it hasn't been raining. We want to thank you all for joining us for this episode. I've been your host, Diane. And this has been Kelly. You take care now. Bye-bye. This episode has been brought to you by our executive producers. Mort. Wake up, Mort. Mort, wake up. Mort. Go away. Yeah, the problem is Mort needs some work. For the last two weeks, we haven't had anybody coming in to support the show, so we don't have any work for Mort. So please, idle hands cause trouble. We don't want him to have idle hands. Idle hands are the devil's workshop. Mort and Satan are going to go build something. Uh Uh-oh. Be sociable. Drop the chain rattling, neck biting, and shape shifting, and join us on Facebook and Twitter at History Goes Bump. Like the page and follow us. He is jovial and friendly to those who he, he is jovial and friendly to those who he, to those whom with <laughs> to those with whom you could do it, Kelly. I know it. <laughs> I'm trying. I'm trying. <laughs> he is jovial and friendly to those with whom he interacts. Objects fall off shelves, and she's opened empty rules. Rules. <laughs> <laughs> Just another day in the life, man. <laughs> Objects fall off. Objects fall off shelves, and she's opened empty rooms that were locked to find them ran- to find them ransacked. What?